go ahead and have a seat, church. Tell the person on your left, with God, all things are possible. Tell the person on your right, because the Longhorns beat a ranked opponent. You guys thought I was going all spiritual on you, didn't you? It's highly ranked. Yeah, Baylor, Baylor Bears going down. Man, it is good to be back with y'all. It is so good. I was up in uh, Missouri. Anybody from Missouri? Any the great state of Missouri? We got somebody raising a hand back there. I was up in Missouri preaching last weekend. Uh, had a phenomenal time, and I think it was just the grace of God uh, that I was not present in Houston uh, because uh, my Buckeyes lost last week. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and y'all love to kind of push that and press that in, and so some of you texted me. I appreciate the text message. Some of you reached out on social media and said, Derek, hey, sorry about the luck. I love that. I feel the love from y'all, but it really was by God's grace that I wasn't here because I can only imagine the line of people I would have had down here afterwards to tell me about my Buckeye loss. Uh, it also just shows you the grace of God in my life because uh, your beloved A&M Aggies lost the same day as my Buckeyes, and so it was just easy does it. Simmer down there, simmer down there. But it really is some, some grace, and uh, so I'm excited to be back with y'all. I'm excited because we're going to continue the series in Mark. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to continue in the series that we've been in. It's going to take us actually all the way up uh, to Christmas. We're going to start an Advent series uh, early in, in December. As I was studying this week, I came across a pretty neat fact. Some of you like facts. It's a pretty neat statistic about the scripture. 75% of the scripture is a narrative. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Literally 75%, three quarters, three over four for you math, non-math people, three quarters of it is a story, a narrative, real life playing out on the pages of scripture. And then 15% of it is poetic. It's poems. Songs, and then just 10% of it is actually uh, propositional or instructional. And it's interesting that uh, somehow some, we get this flipped around, like when we study the Word of God or when we preach the Word of God, that we just want to talk about the instruction only, which is great and it's got its place, but sometimes we fail to realize that God is telling a story. And it's a story of His love and His goodness. And, and it continues today. You and I have a story, and we are part of the big story. Of, of God. And so today what I want to do, I'm just going to read this text to you. And so I, I don't want you to look at your Bible. If you want to just close your eyes, uh, I want us to read this story and to kind of get ourselves like we're there with Jesus. The gospels are full of stories. It's a great narrative about Jesus and the life of Jesus. So I want you to just receive today. And if you're type A, uh, we'll get to uh, note taking in a second, but just kind of chill out a second. I want you to receive. And so maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you're scared to close your eyes because you don't know the person beside you. I get that. Um, but if you're willing, just kind of close your eyes, and I'm just going to read this part of the story, part of the Jesus story to you, and I want you to just to think about, like, if you were there, like, what would you be sensing? What would you be smelling, feeling inside? Are, you, are we good with that, guys? We good? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he immediately, Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that thus they questioned him, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? What is easier, to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I mean, just imagine if you were sitting there that day. How cool would it be to hear Jesus preach the word? How cool would that be? Sorry, I'm going to let you down today. Uh, my message is not nearly as good as Jesus' message. But just imagine if you were in that room and you were there. Maybe you didn't get the good seats. Maybe you were on the outside of the, the thing, just listening to Jesus. Just imagine yourself and you see all of this happen. What would have gone through your mind? And today, what we want to do, we want to enter into this story and say, what is God telling us in this narrative? What is he revealing about who he is in this story about Jesus? And so if you have your, your reading guide, you can take it out. The first point, the importance of friends. The importance of friends. The paralytic's friends in this story had an immense impact on the paralytic being healed. It was his friends that picked him up and carried him to Jesus. Now, just think about these friends, these four friends of the paralytic. They recognized their friend was in need, and so they said, hey, there's a guy in town, and, and, and he's at a, a house. Let's go get our friend, and let's carry him all the way to the house. We don't, we have, that was down the road. We don't know whether it's another city. Like, we don't know all the details. But these men, these friends, part of the healing process was they picked him up, and they took him to Jesus. Now, once they got there, they realized it was a full house. It was a sold-out audience. There was no getting in the door. There were so many people in this house. It was overflowing. And so they had to sit, sit a step back. What are we going to do now? Um, we just carried this guy uh, all the way here and now. And so you got to think, like, they were sitting there, like, they were looking up, like, how can we do this? You know, the helicopter's not invented yet. Like, we can't do the fire alarm where everybody runs out. We can't do that. And so, oh, there's a ladder or there's a set of stairs in that set of the house. And so they took their friend and they carried him up and they ripped open the ceiling and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. You see, they were not deterred when the house was full. They went above and beyond for their friend. And what I love about these friends is they knew what they needed to do. They put their friend, the paralytic, in the presence of Jesus. That's what real friends do. It says once they did that, they knew they could do no more. They lowered him down in the presence of Jesus, and, and they had done. They had gone above and beyond, and they had done all they could do. And so we see the importance of these paralytic friends in the story of the man that was paralyzed, how he got healed. It was his friends that paid the role. And I think most of us in this room, we would um, agree that friendships are pretty important. Anybody else in, this, in the room, you can go ahead and raise your hand. It's church. You're good. Like, we believe that friendships are important, but, but I think sometimes we think of friendships like we think of our roof. Like, I don't think about my roof when the rain's falling and nothing's coming in the, the, the house. Like, I'm good. Like, it actually sounds kind of good on the roof, especially if I got a metal roof. But, but that moment that I have a leak, I immediately start to be concerned about my asphalt shingles that I didn't give a care or give a flip about the day before. And I think sometimes we view our friendships like that. Like, we would say, yeah, my roof's important, 
but it doesn't really get important until there's something wrong. And I think for us, we would say, man, yeah, friendships are important. It's important for me to be a friend. It's important for me to have friends. But until something happens in your life, and until some tragedy sets in, until you wake up and realize that you haven't invested in the people and you really don't have any friends that would be with you through thick or thin, that's when things start getting interesting. And so I want to make sure that we see today that friendship and being a friend is extremely important. We see this throughout the scripture. It's literally how God wired us. We see this in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It's going to be on the screen. It's an amazing passage that, that a lot of people use at their weddings. And I've done some weddings where we've tied a knot, symbolic knot, uh, as three cord. And it's beautiful. But, but remember, uh, a wedding, when it's done right, when two people come together, it is two friends coming together. Best friends saying, hey, we want to live our life. We want to make a commitment, consecrate ourselves together, and we're going to come together. And so that's friendship. Marriage is about friendship, two friends coming together, the most intimate relationship. But also we can take the scripture and say, well, what's it say about our other friends and the importance. So let me read this to you. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so this passage, it speaks to the importance of community. It speaks to the importance of being in relationship with other people. And that's what we call friendship. We, we see that here we are to be a friend, but we're also to have friends, to give and to receive. That's what it looks like to be a friend. And as I was studying this passage and I was looking at this friendship thing, um, my buddy came to mind, Tyson Gentry. Tyson Gentry. Uh, he was uh, younger than me in college. He was a sophomore a walk-on punter uh, on my senior year. Uh, I had earned a scholarship. He was kind of trying to make his way as the backup punter on the team so he could travel with the team. But early that year, the coaches came to him and said, hey, we still want you to be a punter and pursue that, but we have a need for another wide receiver uh, on our team. And so would you be willing to kind of take another role and would you help on the scout team or the team that goes against the first team defense? And he said, yeah, if, if it's best for the team, I, I would love to help the team in any way I can. This is, that's Tyson Gentry for you. And so in, in April uh, of 2006, uh, we were in the middle of spring practices, and this day we were actually practicing in the horseshoe, which we didn't do very often, just kind of get a feel for the game. We were having an inter-squad scrimmage, and uh, we were playing one another, and I'm standing on the sideline, I'm not out right now, and the third string is in there, fourth string, whatever it was, and, and Tyson is lined up a receiver, and he runs this beautiful dig route, about 10 to 12 yards, put a foot in the ground, and he cuts and plants across the middle, and he catches the ball in stride, takes a step, and then gets tackled, like this normal play. Uh, and after he got tackled, you know, the guy that tackled him got up. Everybody ran back to the huddles, but we realized that Tyson was still there. And, you know, that happens sometimes in football. You watch football, and that happens all the time. And so, you know, it's not a big concern. So the staff goes out there, and they start checking him out. And a few minutes turn into five minutes and ten minutes. And so now, you know, we're taking a knee, and we're praying because we're like, man, something's not right here. And, and what we had realized that not only had he not gotten up, Tyson hadn't moved yet. And so they get the stretcher out, and his parents actually just randomly had been there for the practice. I don't, we don't know why they were there. They were down in the field. They were concerned. You could just see, and I'm like 20 yards away. I watched the whole thing happen. He's still laying in that position. And they cart him off, and they take him to the emergency room, and they start analyzing x-ray. And, 
and what they found out is that, that Tyson had broken his neck in a couple places. And so they immediately got him into surgery. They tried to minimize the impact with the uh, inflammation, and they stabilized his, his neck as best they could. He went to rehab. He had many surgeries. And at the end of all that, they still said, Tyson, you're never going to walk again. And in that moment, Tyson's life changed. He, he became a paralytic. <laughs> and, um, and so I called Tyson up because I'm saying, hey, man, I'm preaching this message out of Mark 2, and, and I would love to get your perspective. Um, Tyson is an amazing, amazing young man. Um, he ended up graduating from Ohio State, even with his uh, paralysis, and he continued on. He graduated. He went in and got a master's. Uh, he actually uh, met a girl his senior year in college. They got married. They've been married for three years now, and seven months ago, they celebrated the birth of their first son, which is an amazing thing. The grace of God on his life. And, and honestly, he's still unable to walk. He's got uh, some um, ability to move his biceps, but nothing else. He can't use his hands. And so, you know, he can use an iPad. And he was talking to me on the iPad, but he can't do anything. He can't feel his legs, nothing below his shoulders. Complete, um, completely paralyzed besides his biceps. And so I was talking to him. I said, man, help me walk through this process. You know, what was the things that happened during that time when you had this injury. And I said, specifically, like, what role did your friends play in your recovery? And he said, man, my friends behind my faith played a primary role in, in my able to walk through what I walked through. He said, my friends lifted up my spirits. They motivated, they, they helped me have some mental health in the midst of a grueling rehabilitation process. He said, I couldn't tell you enough about the friends that were there around me, that were circling around me, that pushed me onward. And he said, hey, and then I asked him, I said, hey, Tyson, uh, what advice would you give? I'm going to be talking to about a thousand people. What advice would you give somebody who is trying to be a friend to someone who's going through a difficult time? Maybe not somebody that's paralyzed, but, but what advice if somebody's having a hard marriage or lost a loved one, what would you tell them? And he said this, I thought was really good. He, he said, tell them to Listen. He said, tell them to be present. And he said something very interesting, I thought. He said, uh, tell them to be themselves. He said, in the midst of his most trying time, all he wanted was some normalcy. Everything around his life had changed. He's sitting with a, with a breathing tube in his mouth for part of the time. He can't move anything. And he said, man, I just wanted some normal. And so my friends came, and they would cut jokes with me. They would be themselves. I wanted them to be who they were, and it brought some normalcy to my life. And then I asked Tyson, Tyson, what stands out as you read Mark 2? Because obviously you have some amazing perspective. You, you're like this paralytic. So what, he said two things. He said, the power of God to heal stands out, which is amazing, talking about a guy who hasn't been what we would call healed. And, and he said, the faith of his friends that they put into action. And, and now the story of Tyson, it goes, he was considered himself, I've heard him give his testimony, uh, kind of a token Christian. He would go to church like many of us, and, but he didn't really know Jesus. And so during this time, a lot of his friends were saying, hey, man, this Jesus guy is legit. He can help you through this. He can give you some purpose in the midst of this catastrophe. And so he was transferred for some treatment down to Atlanta, Georgia. And at, in Atlanta, Georgia, he started to read the text for himself. I, I want to know this. And, and as he started to consume the scriptures and the truth of who Jesus was, uh, he was set ablaze. He was completely renewed. 
And his, for the first time, he said that he was on fire and trusted in the Jesus that he read in the scriptures. And his life changed. And today he runs an organization called uh, New Perspectives, where he raises money to help families that are dealing with somebody who has been paralyzed, to help them transfer across the country. He's doing amazing, amazing things by the grace of God. And he finished up our conversation by saying this, and I'll probably never forget this. He said, Derek, I'd rather be walking with God than walking on this earth. Mm, that's some perspective. Coming from a guy who is in a wheelchair the last however many years, no necessarily sign of anything changing. I'd rather be walking with God than walking on this earth. And so we see in Tyson's life and in the life of this paralyzed man, his friends were important and they were vital. Don't ever undermine your importance and value as a friend. It is often through friendships that God moves in the most power and the most love. And honestly, this is why at Bayou City Fellowship, we put so much emphasis on community groups. Because if you look around here, this is a big group of, I don't know, four, five, or 600 people, whatever we have here today. Uh, you can only get to be so much friends. Like it's mostly surface things that are happening here. And so we recognize that, we embrace that, and we said we want to set up an opportunity for people to get into some friendships, into relationships in smaller groups. And so we've got groups all over the city. And most of you, many of you are connected in those because in those groups, we, we come together, we eat, we share life, we share struggles, we ask questions, we open up the word of God, we pray with one another, we get to know people, and we become known. That's the beauty of our community groups. It's really like an incubator for friendships. It's this beautiful thing that we believe in as a church that we've been called to do to steward the people that God has brought to us. And so I want to challenge some of you in this room. Some of you uh, started out, and you had super high expectations when we started this semester, but one week led to two weeks, led to three weeks, and now you're five weeks in, and you haven't been to community group, and you feel really guilty and shameful, and you don't want to show back up, right? Has anybody else, you want, don't raise your hand, don't do that. <laughs> but here's my challenge to you. Go back. Take a risk and say, hey, I don't need to explain myself. I, 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 God has been working in my life, and I want to re-engage in my community because I believe that that's what God called me. And for you to do that, it's going to take you to risk, and it's going to take commitment on your part to show up, to do the hard work. Friendship is not easy. You can ask anyone who's had a friend. It takes a ton of grace, a ton of commitment, and risk to keep saying, yeah, I'm, I'm still there for you. And so I want to challenge you. And if you've never been in a community group, if you're new here, that's how we really do life together. And so if you want to meet us out uh, in the courtyard after the church, we've got locations all around the city, different nights that can get you plugged in. But we value friendships. We believe God has wired us to have friendships. And we get to experience God and his kingdom through those friendships. And so we want you to be connected that way. The second point that I see in this text is the importance of faith. The importance of faith. Faith played a clear role in the paralytic's healing. Look at look, verse 5 of the text here in chapter 2 of Mark. Verse 5. It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, does that sound odd to anybody else? Jesus said he saw their faith. I thought faith was something you couldn't see. I thought it was just a magical kind of like pixie dust where we kind of sprinkle on some people. They got faith and these people don't. Like, Jesus says, I, I see their faith. Did you know that you can see faith? Did you know that? That other people can look at your life and they can see your faith. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, 1, which is, you know, what many of us call the faith chapter, where we hear about all these stories of, of men and women of faith. But Hebrews 11, 1 starts out by saying this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the conviction of things not seen. 
Now, it doesn't say faith is not seen. It says the conviction is what's not seen. So it says you have hope, and then you have this conviction, but, but those things, when they are really full of faith, they actually play on the action that you can see. See, faith is trusting in God that leads to action or trust in God that leads to response. These men, what was their trust in? What was their hope in? The assurance of things hoped for. They were hoping for their friend to be healed. That was their hope. What was their conviction? That this man, Jesus, who was on the other side of the wall, he could heal them. And that hope and that conviction partnered together to produce faith, which was an action, a step of obedience, a step in response, in which Jesus said, I see your faith, and it's going to heal you. And this is not a new concept when we link faith and healing in the scripture. It's actually all throughout the scripture. I'm actually doing a self-study right now and all the supernatural things that we see in the gospels and acts. And I'm going through and I'm, I'm an engineer, so I'm making the spreadsheet and I'm asking like 20 questions and I'm answering them. And, I, and it's amazing how many times you see the, the, the God who is supernatural break into our natural and faith is mentioned as either you have faith or you don't have because you don't have faith. And so we can't get around that this morning. We see this in Mark chapter 10, verse 52. When blind Bartimaeus, a blind man named Bartimaeus, he was crying out. He heard that Jesus was coming. And he kept crying out, crying out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And finally it got his attention. Jesus comes over to him. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. We look at the woman who had the issue of blood that came up and just touched the hem of Jesus. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, woman, your faith has made you well. You think of the Canaanite lady who had a woman who was, or had a daughter who was demonized. Jesus told her, great is your faith, be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. We see this connection of healing, physical healing and and faith. And we can't get away from that in the scripture. And and I do believe this story gives us some credence to say, man, there is a link between our faith and, and, and actually seeing God work in our life. Now, now here's the challenging part. Is we, can take this, uh, we can take this way too far. And when I'm praying for somebody down front here and they come down and they're asking for healing, you know, we can take it to where if they're not healed, then it's either they don't have enough faith or I don't have enough faith. And, 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 and just being clear, I do believe that could be part of the equation. So I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying that is one potential reason why we're not healed, okay? I'm not saying it is, but it could be one because we know Jesus went to a town and because of their doubt, he was unable to perform miracles. Faith has something to do with our healing. And so we see when somebody's not healed, I could blame myself, right, Eric? I could blame myself or I could blame Eric. Eric, your faith, and, and what's that? That is guilt, that is shame. That is not from God, right, Eric? That's not from God, right? But there are many reasons why sometimes we're not healed. One reason is our faith. We don't have it. Another reason is we have sin in our life. We have anger. We have bitterness. All those things can manifest in very physical ways in our life. And so sometimes our healing comes on the heels of confession and receiving forgiveness, receiving the presence of God. And then there's other times where we pray. And the reality of our situation is we live in a fallen world. I preached on this a couple months ago, that, that there's a reality that this world will continue to be broken until Jesus restores all things, and restores the new heaven and new earth. You know, his ways are higher than, I wish I could tell you every time I pray for somebody why well, I didn't have, I can't tell you. But, but what I do know is I see a clear link between our faith, do I even have the faith to ask, 
And when actually God breaks in and moves. So we see this clear connection between faith and physical healing. But we also see a clear connection between faith and spiritual healing. What's Ephesians 2, 8 says? You have been saved through. Let's do that again. You have been saved through faith, right? And, and so we say, man, how do I step into the kingdom of God? How do I become a freed person? How do I become a son or daughter? It's by faith in who? Jesus. What was their faith in? They stepped out and took a risk. And who was their faith in? It was in Jesus who was in the house. So physically, man, it's connected to our faith. And then spiritually, how do we become a son or daughter of the king? It's by our faith in the king and what he has done for us. And so we see this twofold. It's physical and it's spiritual is how we are connected. And so today you may be sitting there and say, man, that sounds great, Derek, but how do I grow in my faith? I get it, but I want more faith. I don't know what to do. And so two, two real simple things for you. If you want to write these down, you can. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if, if you guys want to grow in faith today and you're like, man, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I got little mustard faith, which, by the way, is enough to move a mountain, which is amen. That's great. But if you're like, man, I, I'm really struggling with my faith today. I want more faith. Uh, the best way that we see biblically is for you to start ingesting the word of God. You can't get away from it. There's no way to say, I want my faith to grow, but I'm not willing to read the word of God, the word that he spoke by the Holy Spirit for us. And so if we want to grow in God, we got to read the word. Now, here's the struggle. A lot of us look at this, and this is like foreign language to us. And I've been there, and so there's lots of ways to do it. I would say start really slow. Don't feel like you got to buzz through a chapter or a book a week. And the other thing that my wife and I found is, is when we were really early in our foundational kind of process of getting to the Lord, um, we would get the word and just the word by listening to others teach the word. Sort of like we're doing today, like I'm, I'm, I've been given a gift of teaching by the Lord, by the Spirit, and so I'm here teaching. But, but what my wife and I did early on in our faith walk is we would get online and we would watch sermons. And, and, and yeah, we sound really odd, folks. That's how like, cool we are with three kids. We're watching sermons late at night. Um, but we would sit in our dining room and we would watch, watch like one, two, three sermons a night. And we would just be in our scripture. We would be turning. We would be underlined. We're like, man, this is so amazing. It came alive, and so maybe today you're like, I, I can't, Derek, go read. But I guarantee you can sit in amazing Houston traffic and try not to get mad and listen to a podcast. <laughs> there are some amazing preachers out there, amazing men of faith, amazing men of integrity. Uh, connect, watch some sermons, listen to the word of God, and just this if you want to grow in your faith. The second thing you need to do if you want to grow in faith is get around people with faith. Some of us are just kind of wallowing in uh, a group of people that are not really healthy for your own faith. And I'm not saying to cut those people off, not whatsoever. I believe that God has placed you with influence where he's placed you. So I'm not saying cut them off unless they're pulling you into something bad. And then I would say, hey, consider that. But, but if we want to grow in our faith, what if we started getting around people that had more faith than I had? Because scripture even tells us that we become really who we're around. And so if you want to grow in your faith, get around some people that you look up to in their faith. Observe them. Ask them questions. And then take a risk. That's how you spell faith. R-I-S-K. You can't get around it. And if you want to grow in your faith, you, you got to start taking a step and say, man, I feel like God's saying this in his word. I feel like I'm praying. He said this. I take a step out and I find out, was that from God or not? That's how I grow in my faith. It's applied obedience. 
Even when I don't understand, I take a step and I risk. And so we need to grow in our faith and we, because we see it's so important to us experiencing God spiritually and us experiencing God in physical healing and being delivered from sin and all these things. Faith is of utmost importance. And the last point today is the importance of forgiveness. The importance of forgiveness. One of the things I love about this chapter, just these 12 verses, is uh, that we see both the humanity and the deity of Jesus. That we see the Son of Man, we also see the Son of God. Fully God, yet fully man. In the first verse it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Have you ever considered that Jesus had a hometown? No, not until you said that, Derek, actually. Jesus had a hometown. Jesus likely had a house. He left Galilee and came to Capernaum. And so what we see here is maybe this was his house. Maybe he had a roommate. Maybe Simon Peter. I don't know. You know, if, what would you do if your roommate was Jesus? Like, Jesus, you got the tab this month. Like, go get a fish and pay for the rent and we'll be good. But we see the humanity of Jesus. He had a hometown, and it says that he came home from his preaching explorations. He came, he was home. You can't get much more human than saying you got a home, you got a house, you're there. It says that he returned there, and so we see this beauty of Jesus, that he was just like you and me. He was fully man. But, but then later we see that he isn't just like us, that he's fully God. And, and we see this in verse 5. It says, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. See, he does what we can't do, and this points to his deity. In forgiving the paralytic sins, Jesus makes a bold claim, one that we need to wrestle with today. Jesus, in doing so, says, I am God. When Jesus was talking to this man and says, your sins are forgiven, he meant it. This was not a hypothetical situation. But the challenge is, in the midst of this group of people, nobody could verify if Jesus really did forgive his sins. Because it's not like I could go say, hey, yeah, I'm checking his blood pressure. Like, yeah, he's forgiven. You can't do that. And so what happens is the, the, the religious leaders started mumbling to themselves and in their heart. And they began to say, how can this man say such a thing? How can this guy be such a blasphemer? How can he say this? They were outraged at his proclamation. And so Jesus responds with a question, which I think is great advice. Always. And I think in this political season, like we're getting like a couple weeks away from hopefully social media going back to normal. Um, and hopefully like the TV will be a little less crazy and less mudslinging. But, but what if we were a people that asked more questions than puked up the truth that we believe? Like there's a time and place for truth. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we should just cower asking. But what we see in Jesus, he always led with amazing questions that made people really think. And so he asked this question to these people that were questioning him. He said, is it easier to forgive, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say to this man, rise and take your mat and go home? Now, 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 on the surface, that's really easy to say, like, Eric, I'm picking on you today. Is it easier for me to say, hey, Eric, your sins are forgiven? I can say that really easy. I, I just did. It requires nothing. But for me to say, Eric, get up and walk if you were paralyzed would require great power. And it was easily verified. So Jesus says, what's easier? Now, the reality is, what is easier, church? For me to say, get up and walk, or for me to forgive his sins? It's impossible for me to forgive his sins unless I'm God. And so Jesus asked this amazing question, which is easier? Which is easier? And he says, so that you may know that I am the Son of God. 
that I am the son of man, that I am God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to say your sins are forgiven, but I'm going to say rise and take up your man and walk. So you see, Jesus, he was demonstrated, not only did he have power over the effects of sin, which is brokenness, physical brokenness, relational brokenness, financial brokenness. He has not only power over that, but in having power over that, he signifies that I also have power at the roots. I've conquered sin. I can forgive you of that. I can restore you the way that God intended. Not only cause the roots, not just the effect, but, but what actually is causing the sickness to begin with. And this is why it's so important as we look at Mark 2 to say that forgiveness is important because Jesus is saying, I am God. And everyone in the room would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. That's why people were so offended. How dare he say that? Because these people, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah 43, 25 that says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. This is God speaking. They knew that only God could forgive sins, could only God could separate our sins from the east and the west. It's only God that can wipe away our transgressions. Only God, and they knew this. And so when Jesus said this, he was making a powerful statement. I am God. And so what do we learn from from this as we boil this down? Two things. Miracles, signs, and wonders are a valid demonstration of God's power and authority. Jesus' coming to this earth was full of him preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, the truth of God, which is forgiveness of sins, but also coupled with him showing that he had power and authority over the brokenness that sin causes. And so we see in this story, both are valid, both are needed. And that's why Jesus sent out the 72. That's why he sent out the 12 to say, hey, go proclaim the good news, but also heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse the leper. It's not one or the other, it's both. And so I believe this text gives us clear affirmation that we should be a people that trust God for miracles, for signs, and for wonders. That wasn't just a time back then, that's for today. That's why we have our prayer ministry. That's why we see people healed in this church. That's why we wanna be people that run into relational issues outside of church. That's why we wanna be a people that are not afraid to pray for somebody who's sick at work. We want to be a people that really believe God to be who he is, which is supernatural. And we want to live just as Jesus lived. And so we believe that miracles, signs, and wonders really do demonstrate the power and authority of God. That's why Jesus did it, to affirm his message, the evidence of healing. That's why he did it. And the second thing and final thing is, is the essence of this whole story in, Matthew, in Mark 2 is that we have to respond to Jesus' claim. You see, we can't just say that Jesus is a really good teacher or a really good person. He claimed to have no sin, 1 John 3, 5. He claimed to be one with the Father, John 5, 18. And what we see this morning, he was claiming to be God by forgiving sins and healing the paralytic. What do we do with that? Uh, An author, C.S. Lewis, he died a while back, a phenomenal writer, great insights into Christianity and and how it intersects with the world. Uh, He wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and some of you have probably read that, and and if you haven't read it, man, I highly suggest it. I'm going to read you a little excerpt because 
what C.S. Lewis points out is that we've got to deal with this question, is Jesus God? Is he? And some people have said that the real question is, is Jesus a lunatic, a liar, or is he Lord? He's got to be one of those three. And so this is an excerpt from uh, Mere Christianity that C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said this sort of thing that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either, either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with a patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not let that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have accepted the view that he was and is God. You see, the story today, the proclamation of Jesus to be able to forgive sins with a clear statement that he is God. And so the question we all have to deal with today and when we leave here is who is Jesus? Who is he? We can't just say he's a good teacher. We gotta say he's either a crazy man, a liar, or he really is Lord, and all those have implications on how you live your life. What we see in this text is that friends, faith, and forgiveness, each one of them played a role in the paralyzed man's healing, both spiritually and physically. Each one had a very specific role, and I believe friends, family, or friends, faith, and forgiveness have a similar role in our lives, both spiritually and physically. They are vital, and they are important. And so today as we pray, I I want us to have some prayer ministry time for for these three things. Relationships, friendships, if you're struggling with that, we want to pray that God would give that to you. I believe that's how God wired you to desire to be in relationship. Secondly, if you're struggling with doubt and you want to have more faith, and I believe, man, take the first risk. You step out of your seat and you come forward and ask for God to endow you with, with greater faith. And then third, as if today you want to respond to this notion that Jesus really is God. The scripture tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All. Not some. All. So today, if you say, man, I I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he raised again. I believe he sits with the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. I believe his claim that he is God. And you've never said yes to Jesus. Then you come down forward. And we've got people that would pray with you and would help you start that relationship, start that walk. And today, if you know somebody, I hope you have a friend or a family member that you want to know Jesus, then I'm gonna ask you to intercede on their behalf. You come forward and partner with another believer full of full faith, asking that the Lord would powerfully impact their life and bring them to salvation. So go ahead and stand. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna have our prayer ministry and our worship. Lord, thank you so much that, uh, Father, that you sent your son because you loved us. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived among us, that you were both fully human and that you are fully God and that your claim to being God is clear and that your death was real, that your resurrection was real and that today you say, come to me, come to me, come to me. 
confess your sin and I'll forgive you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would draw somebody who's on the edge right now of making a decision for following you, that we would be more like the paralytic who got up and walked with Jesus instead of the religious leaders that just hoped he really wasn't God. So Lord, draw them to you. May there be healing in this place. Even right now, Lord, manifest the kingdom in Jesus' name.